0: Good morning. Hey, God is good. It's great to see you lovely people here today. Praise God. Amen. I want to thank Mark and Val for the opportunity that I have here to share the Word of God. I tell you, when when people believe in you, when they believe that God is, is really using you uh, to minister and they want to cultivate that calling and that anointing and help you grow in that grace, uh, there's nothing more. There's not anything that can outbeat that. When, when we're striving for unity uh, in the church, and if you've noticed with Mark and Val, there's no competition in ministry. <laughs> it is a beautiful thing, and uh, it's very rare, actually. And I just want to thank them for the opportunity that me and Heather have to serve here. To be part of Triumphant Grace Ministries, and we are Triumphant Grace Ministries. Praise God. Amen. Amen. But if you notice the way the service is going this morning, God, God really wants you to understand how valuable you are to Him. That when it comes to you, that your life, that you are as valuable as the blood of Jesus. And you think, well, my life, how could that be as valuable as Jesus' blood? Well, some, the, the value of something is only determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And God and Jesus were both willing to shed His blood for you. And when you understand that God loves you as much as He loves Jesus, when you can say to yourself, thank you, Father, that you love me with the same love that you love Jesus with. That there's no separation. God doesn't love Jesus at a higher level than He loves you. That revelation right there, we were talking to some friends and we were talking about stuff like this, me and Heather, and telling them to confess like Mark says that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that God loves me. And this person said, well, that that would be hard to say. It's not hard to say when you understand how much He loves you. That God loves you that much. That He don't love you differently than Jesus. That He loves you as Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm actually going to be preaching on the invisible hand of God. Amen. God is a good God. I want you guys to be hungry, and I, I pray that you guys didn't come to hear me because me... Without the leading of the Holy Spirit and the ability to give even utterance, you wouldn't want to hear me. (laughs) I told you before I was never good at speaking in front of people. My, My reading level was probably at third grade reading level. But the Bible says that God takes the the weak things and the things that are not and that he is the one that makes and molds. That's why when you see God, uh, when he came, the father came and spoke to Moses and he said, I want you to go and speak unto the Pharaoh of Egypt. Moses kept disqualifying himself because of what he saw himself as. See, Moses didn't see himself as a great intellectual or even he said he was slow of speech, which means you literally have a speech impediment or you stutter. But God, God said, who is the one that gives man the ability to speak? Who makes mute or deaf or dumb? It's God. God gives man the ability to speak. And he wants us to know that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So when we feel inadequate, God's ability supersedes our ability. He makes us what we can't become because this is the way we were born, but not the way that God designed us. Amen. Because when you were born again, you were translated, the Bible says, out of the kingdom of darkness... Into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Amen. You've been born again. Your feet's been set on a different path. The path that you were going is not the direction that you're now heading. Amen. See, we were all on a path of destruction before redemption, but once we understand that God sent His own Son to purchase us back, that changed our direction. Amen. It changed your destiny. Instead of now living a defeated life, now we understand that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen. And it says that we shall rule and reign in life, in this life, by one Christ Jesus. To rule and reign, not defeat, but to rule and reign in this life by Christ Jesus. Amen. I've always hated the saying. I don't know why. It just never settled right in my heart. You hear it said all the time. But I hate the saying and it it very much displeases me when I hear it, even though people say it with good intentions, when people say that faith is blind. Because faith is not blind. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. We know hope is carries an expectancy with it. So faith is the substance of things expected and then it says the evidence of things not seen. Now it's not seen with these eyes, but if you don't see it in here, you'll never see it right here with your natural eyes. Amen. You latch hold of it. Amen. Before you ever see it with these eyes, you latch hold of it in your heart because God is good. So the reason why the message is called the invisible hand of God is because I was reading Romans chapter 1, verse 20, if you guys would like to turn there, amen? Romans 1, 20, Lord. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we release this service to you. We thank you that you've been here the whole time. We thank you that we see your hand at work, Lord God, from the choosing of the songs, Lord Jesus, to the spoken word, Lord God. Uh, and everything, I thank You that You are the beautiful orchestrator of life. And I thank You that You orchestrate our lives, even at times where we can't see it, where we don't understand it, that there really is a hand behind us, Lord God, orchestrating the events in our lives to produce success for us in every area of life. And we want to thank You for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. It says, for the invisible things of Him, for the invisible things of God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And then listen to what it says. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that men are without excuse. So it says that there's an invisibleness About God. There's an invisible hand of God, but it's understood. And it says, even his eternal power, the eternal power of God is understood from the things that are made. So, how can you understand the eternal power of God looking at the things that are made? That's what I did this week. I spent looking up the universe and how it's orchestrated, how it works, because obviously if this verse says that when you stand before God, that there will be no excuse to say I didn't know there was a God, because even His power is displayed from the things that He created. So as I was looking up certain stuff, I looked up the earth's orbit, and I seen the earth's orbit, and, and as I was studying that, it was fascinating to me, because these things fascinate me, that we literally form a perfect circle around the sun and we orbit the sun every 365 days. That's where we get our calendar year from. But we're orbiting at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour, which is fast enough to reach the moon in four hours. And why we're spinning around the sun at a rate of 67,000 miles per hour Counterclockwise, the earth is spinning counterclockwise. And it completes a full cycle, a full spin, every 24 hours. That's where we get our 24 hour day from. What fascinates me about that is because the invisible things of God, His eternal power, the actual sun is 2.7 million miles in circumference. Do you understand how big that is? In the vastness of the earth, the earth is only a little under 25,000 miles big. You're talking about the sun that heats the solar system. It's 2.7 million miles in circumference, and we're spinning around that at a rate of 67,000 miles per hour. We never go off course. We never veer. It's a perfect circle around the sun. Amen. And why we're spinning the same counterclockwise direction, that you know if the earth didn't spin and we still orbited the sun, that this this earth would be completely uninhabitable? Because either one part would never see the sun, it'd be a block of ice, or the other part would be exposed to the sun forever. It would be a dry desert. Do you understand? His eternal power... That He holds, and why we're orbiting at this rate of sixty-seven thousand miles per hour, the Moon is actually orbiting the Earth, all simultaneously. Amen. It's the invisible hand of God, and even why He's holding all this together. He's holding you. Amen. He's He's able to orchestrate creation, but He's able to orchestrate your lives. In the same way. Amen. The Bible says that he don't sleep or slumber. While you're sleeping, God is still keeping the sun burning. He's still turning the earth. Amen. The moon is still circling us. The importance of the moon, when I looked it up, it's actually what creates tides. Without the gravitational pull of the moon, the oceans would literally spill out. But you know what happened? God said, the waters will only go this far. Amen. And from that time forth, guess what? The waters only went this far. There's a purpose and plan for everything. And when you look at your life, most of the times you don't know what the purpose and plan of God's going to be until you get ahead and are able to look back. And when you're ahead and you look back, you can say, I see what you were doing there. But it's only through faith that we understand that even in trials, God is doing something. The invisible hand of God is at work for your life. Amen. Amen. For your good. With that, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 5. I was talking to Mr. T. I was talking to Mr. Testerman this morning. Mark. We call him Mr. T, but (laughs) that's only because of the girls, praise God. I was talking to my buddy Mark this morning, and he said, uh, I was asking him how the uh, exhortation at their school yesterday went because they had to give a 15-minute exhortation showing Jesus, types and shadows from the Old Testament that actually depict Jesus. And he was sharing some of Sister Vows with me, and he said, uh, He said, She's my favorite preacher. He said, he said, you're you're my number two, but you'll never take that number one spot. So I said, I said, that's fine. I don't plan on it, but reading out of Romans chapter five can't hurt. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Romans chapter five, verse one. God is good. I actually taught this in a Bible study about a month ago. After I taught it, I called Mark up and I was sharing it with him. I was so excited because I know it blessed our Bible study and it, it blessed me as I studied it because God is good. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, being justified. That word justified, anytime you see it in the New Testament, it literally means declared innocent. It says, therefore, being declared innocent. Amen. You've been declared innocent. What does it say though? By faith. When you chose to put your faith in the Son of God as the sacrifice for your sins, God at that moment, all God's wrath was poured out on Jesus 2,000 years ago, but when you put faith in it, you accepted it. Amen. Jesus' innocence was then transferred to you. Amen. And every wrong thing you ever did was transferred to Him. Therefore, you're justified. God's declared you innocent. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. See, if someone's fighting against the message of grace because they don't have the revelation, the Bible says the place that you're standing is. And right now, the access you've gained came by faith, but you're supposed to be standing in grace. Amen. It's the grace of God. It's God's ability to come on your life to empower you. Grace is an empowerment. Grace says, I'm willing to do something for you even though you don't deserve it. Grace says that I love you enough that even though you put yourself there, Amen. I'm going to be the one to bring you out of it. Grace says that you went and you ruined your whole life, but I'm willing to pay the payment to fix everything. Amen. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. We're standing in grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That word glory right there, you're about to see it again in the next verse, but that word glory literally means dignity, glory, honor. It's literally referring to a character of a person. Dignity means nobility or elevated character. That's actually what dignity means. So when it's when you see this, this word right here, we rejoice and hope of the glory of God, of the character of God we rejoice and hope because we know the character of God. And then it says, and not only so, not only do we know the character of God and have joy because of that, he said, but we glory in tribulation also. That word glory there means to rejoice or to have joy or to boast. That word tribulation means pressure, persecution, distress, trouble. So he's saying that we have joy in troubling times, we can rejoice in troubling times. It says, and not only so, well how, how can we have joy in the midst of troubled times? Because we know the character of God. Amen. That's how we can have that rejoicing during persecution or pressure or trouble or tribulation is because we have a confidence in who God is. Amen. He says, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation works patience. And listen to this. Patience actually means cheerful or hopeful endurance. Not just being patient, just idly sitting by, but actually cheerfully and not enduring as just, I'm going to endure this till God delivers me. No, it's saying that even in the midst of troubled times, that God is the one who gives me the endurance, the ability to actually walk this out. And He says that when you have joy in the midst of trouble, that if you'll let patience work, that it will produce experience. Experience means test or trustiness. It's to prove. It's to actually prove something. When you've experienced something, you say that I've experienced this and I can now tell you about it. Me and my buddy Maurice this week were talking about, he said we were lifting, and he said, man, I feel the Holy Spirit. And the moment that he said it, it's like uh, energy just filled the atmosphere. We were in the weight room. It was just me and him. We had almost got done with our entire work chest workout. He said, man, as soon as I laid back, he said, man, I feel the Holy Spirit. I laid back from that time he said that we got stronger and stronger and stronger. We increased the weight. Everybody knows that when you weightlift, naturally you don't get stronger and stronger the longer you go. Your muscles get weaker and weaker. But it's the reality that the Holy Spirit filled the place. And the evidence of that was that where we were getting weaker, we started getting stronger. Amen." And he said, I don't even know how to explain it when we got done. I said, you don't have to. I said, but trying to explain it to someone who never experienced it, that's the hard part. (laughs) But once you experience it, nobody else needs to explain it to you. And that's what this is talking about. If you'll let patience have its perfect work, it'll produce experience. Nobody's going to have to talk you into enduring because you have an experience. And that it because you've had that experience, now it produced hope in you, which is an expectation. Amen. Your hope, let's keep reading, and patience, experience, and experience hope. And then verse 5, and hope makes not a shame. Which means that when your expectation is set in God because you know his character, you can rejoice in the midst of trouble. Amen. You can have joy. Why? Because you've experienced this turbulence before. And it's not going to stop you from getting to the next destination that God has already marked in your life. Amen. Amen. But then listen to what it says. Our hope won't make us ashamed. And then it says, because the love of God. I honestly think there should be a comma there, but there's not. The reason why we have this expectation, this hope, Our expectation, the end of our expectation is the love of God. Amen. It says that hope won't make us ashamed because the love of God has been shut abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Amen. So the reason why we can rejoice in troubled times is because we know the character of God and we know how much God loves us and we've experienced turbulence in our life before and it didn't take us out. Amen. Amen. God is faithful. And listen, the trouble or persecution or pressures that any of us face in life, they're not our cross to bear, as Christians used to say. This is just my cross to bear. Look, God's not opposing Himself. God's not putting a vision in your heart. He's not giving you faith for something, then fighting against it. That's Satan. He is the one who's trying to rob you of everything that God's promised you through circumstances. I don't know if any of you guys watched the BVOV, but George Pearson was on there with Terry Mize, and Terry Mize was telling George of something that T.L. Osmond told him. And he said, he said one day, T.L. Osmond came up to him and said, Terry, he said, always stay till the devil leaves. Always stay till the devil leaves. When he said that, I understood exactly what he was talking about. It made complete sense because these scriptures in Luke 4 13 and 14 came to my mind. It says, And when the devil had ended all the temptations, he departed from him for a season and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit into Galilee and there went out a fame of him throughout all the regions round about what was the devil trying to do he was trying to stop the ministry of Jesus but Jesus didn't quit guess what he did he stayed till the devil left and the Bible says that he went in the power of the spirit amen amen That's what the devil don't want you to get a hold of. But I can guarantee you that when you're willing to stand and the Apostle Paul says that doing all you've done to stand, he said, therefore, stand. And when when you say, I felt like I've done everything that I can do, the Apostle Paul said to stand because there's going to come a time when you resist the devil that he's going to have to flee from you. And then you're going to go in the power of the Spirit. Amen. But you, the fame ain't going to be about you. It's going to be about Jesus. Amen. 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 God is faithful. So when Terry said T.L. Osmond said that to him, I took that as Terry My saying that to me. <laughs> Steve, stay till the devil leaves. <laughs> See, there are certain things that we can't explain. And sometimes we let the things that we can't explain keep us from moving in the direction that we know that God wants us to move in. Amen. I'm reminded of the story of Herod arrested Peter. But before he arrested Peter, he arrested James, the brother of John, and he beheaded him. And seeing that it pleased the people, Herod went and laid hold of Peter as well and was planning on putting him to death. And see, Peter still had peace. But I believe that the Apostle Peter, the Bible says that he was sleeping around midnight. or I'm not sure of the hour, but he was sleeping because the peace of God, I honestly believe, was upon him. Because he, he was looking forward to eagerly going to meet his Maker. <laughs> he loved Jesus. Jesus even asked Peter, Do you love me more than these? And Peter's probably wondering why James get to go first. <laughs> why James get to go first? So Peter's probably just waiting for the hour to come where he's going to be executed. Because that happened to James. Peter's no better than James. He knows that. He knows they're just as important that the same blood that purchased James is the same blood that purchased Peter. Peter's expecting to go meet his maker. And I think he's looking forward to it so much that it actually gave him peace to sleep, amen. The reality of where he was going, Peter knew. But God had a different plan for Peter. The Bible says, an angel of the Lord smote him on the side. It literally means to hit. (laughs) He didn't shake him and say, Peter, come on, Peter, come on. He went, get up, (laughs) and smacked him. Peter was expecting to die because he didn't realize it wasn't a dream till he got out of the last gate and he realized that he wasn't dreaming. He thought that whole time that he was in a dream. So, how does Peter explain the death of James and then God actually releases him? You know, you could form a theology off that, right? You know, there's been a lot of people that can't explain that, but they form theologies. Peter, walking with Jesus, looks back, asks about the Apostle John, what great things will this man do? And Jesus replied to Peter, if I want him to remain alive till I come back, what is that to you? We all have different courses in life, and there's certain things that you can't explain. But the things that you can't explain, you don't have to make theologies about them. The thing is, is that you have to entrust that the God that was in charge of James is the same God that is in charge of you. And if James' destiny was to die in prison and to give his life for the gospel, that was the perfect plan of God for James. But I can tell you that it wasn't God killing James. It wasn't. It wasn't God killing James. It was the enemy trying to stop them. But they had enough faith that even if they were locked in prison, they believed that even if it came to death, they were going to receive a better resurrection. Amen. And it says in Hebrews, which I'm going to read here shortly, that some didn't even accept deliverance but had trials of, of scourgings and mockings. And they were put to death. The Bible says that they were sawed asunder, refusing to accept deliverance that they may obtain to a better resurrection. James wasn't looking for deliverance. He was looking to move wherever God told them to move. Even Peter, Peter wasn't looking for deliverance from prison. He's seen James. They loved each other. Could you imagine how much they wept when James was actually beheaded? Not grieved, as in just mourning and mourning and mourning, but they had to come to the realization that I'm never going to see him again in this earth. This is John's brother. And there's a song that says, what are they going to do, what murder us? What murder does is send a surge of us to go put churches up. That was their outlook even in the face of the enemy trying to stop them, it didn't. What murder did is it sent a surge of them to go put churches up. Amen. Amen. Because we realize that God is bigger than us. That our, our hope and our expectation that we can actually have joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, because we have an expectation because we know how much God loves us. We understand the character of God. And we know He's a good Father. And if He's a good Father, good fathers don't do bad things to their children. Good fathers ensure the success of their children. Good fathers are willing to help even when their children make mistakes. And God, like we sang, is a good, good Father. Amen. Opposition doesn't come from God. He's not opposing Himself. When you go through a trial, a test, or a temptation, you can have joy in the midst of it because you understand the character of God and you know how much He loves you. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start with verse 32. We're talking about the invisible hand of God because even though James had been beheaded, God was working on Peter's release. And even though Peter couldn't explain the execution of James, he couldn't explain it. He couldn't understand probably why God chose to set him at liberty, but James, he took to heaven. The Apostle Peter, his his only conclusion probably could have came that God really wanted to see James. (laughs) And I guess he still has work for me here to do. But these guys were willing to give their lives for the gospel. The Bible says that after the first time that they got flogged and beat for the preaching of the gospel, that they came back rejoicing that they could suffer the same affliction as Jesus, the same persecution as Jesus. They thought it was honorable. God wasn't the one that flogged and beat them. But guess what? Their flogging and their beating didn't deter the mission. It didn't stop them. Because they knew the character of God. They knew the invisible hand of God was working on their behalf. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. I love these scriptures right here. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Japheth, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets... And then listen what he says. Who through faith, these guys subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises. Through faith, these guys actually obtained promises. It says in in chapter 6 of this same book that it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. Amen. But through faith, these guys... Obtain promises, stop the mouth of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yes, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. I'm telling you, everything lines with grace when you look it up, and with love, because I told Heather that word tormented, it does not belong there. We know that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with torment. We understand that being perfected in love actually casts out fear, that fear has to do with torment. So I looked that word up in the Greek, and it actually means to have great adversity. Great adversity because they weren't tormented while they were standing. They were standing in a a place of faith. They didn't feel like it was torment to stand up in the face of opposition to the point to where they want to kill you. They didn't look at it. It says that Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. There was a joy and expectancy in Jesus' heart when He was enduring the affliction, the payment that brought about the payment for our sins. He wasn't depressed or beat down. In life, Christians should never be, you should never have a weight or a burden on you. You have the ability to get outside of that emotion based in the love of God, that the love of God can carry you outside of an emotion, that it can rearrange the emotions to fit the word. Amen. And then it says, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and in dens, and in caves of the earth. And these, all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Heather was talking this morning, and she was telling me about a puzzle that she put together. And she was saying that there was one piece of the puzzle that was missing. She said she searched high and low everywhere and she couldn't find that piece of the puzzle. She said that I had 99.9% of this puzzle done, but because that one piece was missing, it wasn't complete. If one of God's children are missing, it's not complete. You are a child of God that was meant to complete the puzzle. Amen. Amen the puzzle that God created. You know how important you are as a single piece? You form the whole picture because you're a piece of it. Amen. Verse 1 in chapter 2. He says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's the witnesses he's talking about here? He's talking about all the people that he just named in the previous chapter. He's talking about Gideon, Japheth, uh, Samuel, David. He's talking about Moses, Abraham. He's saying that these guys are witnesses. Well, a witness of what? Well, what's the previous chapter talking about? It's talking about faith and the power that it's produced when we believe. It says that they stopped the mouth of lions that women received their dead raised to life again, and some refused not to die because of faith. It was the power that was produced because these people believed. And he's saying because you have all these examples, because this has been tested, it's been proven that this faith that worked for them can work for you. We shouldn't look for smaller things for God to do. We should look for greater things for God to do because Jesus said greater things will you do because I go unto the Father. He said that it's good that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. Amen. Let's look at one of these witnesses. Let's look at at Gideon. I want to look at Gideon. Because he says, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, a witness is something that testifies to something. What are these guys testifying to? And he said that we're surrounded with this. So I looked up Gideon. I mean, you guys are familiar with Gideon. But I wanted to look it up in Judges six, 6. I'm going to skip around. I'm not going to read verse by verse. I'm going to read verse 6, skip down to verse 11 and 12, and then I'm going to finish up with... Fourteen, fifteen, 15, and 16. Judges 6, 6. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an oprah. Children of Israel, which was an oprah, that pertained unto Josh the Abizrite, and his son Gideon threshing wheat by the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. So here's there's such great poverty in Israel because when they would have harvest, literally the Midianites would come and destroy and take anything they wanted and they would destroy anything they could. And here you find Gideon hiding, threshing wheat. And skip down to verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you you mighty man of valor. Verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Listen to this. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. How we see ourselves through our circumstances will determine the outcome. What did the angel of the Lord, what did the Lord say to Gideon? He said, You mighty man of valor. Was Gideon a, ma- a mighty man of valor? No, he was hiding in a, in a winepress, threshing wheat. When did he become a mighty man of valor? when the Lord said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Do you know that in Romans chapter 4, he's speaking about Abraham, and he says that I have made you the father of many nations. Abraham, before God said that I have made you the father of many nations, had no hope to be the father of many nations. But as soon as God said, this is what I've made you into, Abraham was that. Amen. He was the father of many nations, still not having a a child. The moment that the angel of the Lord said unto Gideon, you mighty man of valor, he became that mighty man of valor. See, we have to see ourselves as God says who we are. That we're more than conquerors through Christ. Amen. That we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That the spirit of life has freed me from the laws of sin and death that we've been made righteous that we've been made perfect that we have a sound mind amen that we actually have the holy spirit inside of us and if you look in luke 10:18 jesus says behold i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven this is what he said And he said, Behold, I give you power to trample on snakes and scorpions. I was telling Mark, I looked up that word snake in the Greek, and in there it actually says specifically referring to Satan. He says that I give you power to trample on Satan and scorpions to overthrow the powers of the enemy that no harm may come to you. But he says this, he says, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to you in my name. He said, but rather rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, we can have joy not because of the circumstance, but because the invisible hand of God is working behind the scenes. That when you stand up knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you're going to overthrow the powers of the enemy and no harm is going to come to you. And your deliverance means somebody else's deliverance. Satan don't fight against something that he's not concerned about. I was telling that to Heather's parents because through the years of their ministry, they've been beaten up by religion. And I and I was telling her mom, I said, do you know how valuable you are? I said, Satan doesn't try to stop something he's not afraid of. It's because he's afraid of you. That's why he's trying to stop you. But your names are already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's too late. Amen. He's subject to you. We're more than conquerors through Christ. We're perfect already in our spirits. And like Mark said one, one time when he was preaching, he said, I'm already perfect in my spirit. It's unfortunately I don't always walk in the spirit. <laughs> I tend to step out. I think every Christian does. If you don't, praise God. But <laughs> you don't have to. But God is so faithful. He is. We're conquerors. Amen. God's behind the scenes, working on our behalf. He's already produced. I mean, when you think about the earth's atmosphere and that without the atmosphere, all the oxygen that's in the world would float into outer space. You couldn't even carry a conversation with somebody because your voice uses sound waves to carry. I mean, sound waves uses air to carry. So when you produce a sound, if there was no air, there would be no noise because it needs that in order to carry that sound to an eardrum. When you think about that, that God created an atmosphere to protect this earth that would keep rain in here and oxygen. When you think about that He put plants and seeds here that without plant life we would die Plant life takes carbon, gives us oxygen. Without oxygen, you would die. Without food, it couldn't sustain a life on this planet. Without water to nourish a seed, the plant couldn't grow that would feed you, that would produce oxygen. Everything works in sync. But the same God that made the atmosphere is the same God that gave seed for the plants, is the same God that gave us water, but He's also the same God that is still directing your lives today. Amen. If you take one piece of the puzzle of your life out, the puzzle don't even look the same. I was thinking about this. My brother had gotten in trouble and he ended up doing a year in the county jail. And when he got out, if the things would have happened that should have happened, he would have spent a lifetime in prison. But there were certain things that didn't happen. The gun didn't go off. If that gun would have went off, what happens is he never meets Melissa. He never moves out to Chicago. I never move out here. My mom never moves out to Beloit. I never meet a man named Mark Testerman. I never meet someone named Heather. I never have three kids. Mercy, grace, and faith, you would never hear of them right now. Everything was orchestrated. Even when the enemy was trying to stop the plans of God, God was still behind the scenes working it out. So there is a Heather and Steve. There is a mercy, grace, and faith. Amen. You can't take away a piece of the puzzle. So here we are in retrospect looking back, and now we can see what God was doing through all that. But during the time, we didn't know. We didn't know that. I didn't know when I met Mark. 14 years later, I would be uh, be an assistant in his ministry. That triumphant grace would become part of my ministry too. I didn't know that. I had no idea but there was an invisible hand of God working behind the scenes that when Mark was getting ready to open this church two weeks before that, Heather stepped out of the, she, she served in the children's church. She stepped out of that and we started going to other churches. I didn't know Mark was going to open a church. But what God was doing, he was getting us ready. He was getting us ready. See, his hand had been working behind the scenes all that time. So when the time came, there would be no question, is this God, is this not God? This was God. We were already moving. Amen. And here we are, we stepped in here. But it's because God was working behind the scenes. Amen. And there was times I didn't understand and some stuff happened because I didn't understand, and I let other things get in there. But God is faithful, even to fix things that we've broke, to bring us back to the right path, set on the right course, to complete the same mission. The mission doesn't change. See, when David sinned, when David messed up, when David slept with Bathsheba and killed her husband, the mission didn't change. David suffered severe consequences, yes, but he was still king of Israel. God still blessed Solomon. Do you understand that? It's the importance of even when we make bad decisions, God is still our focus. And when you understand that God is always for you, when you're confident in the love that God has for you, and you realize that even the times you mess up, the invisible hand of God is fixing it. It will free you from condemnation. You will never sit in your room in the middle of the night and weep because of something you did. You will rejoice because of something God did. And that something was to give his son Jesus that paid and covered the penalty of what you did. It produces joy in us, excitement. We never feel disqualified from the race. No, we don't live our lives trying to sin. We don't. We don't want to sin. When we sin, it grieves us. Yes. But our grief doesn't have to turn to depression. It can turn to joy. Not joy that we sin, but joy that God had already made the payment for that sin that it's already covered, that we have confidence in God. When God called you, He already knew you. He knew you were going to mess up. It's like, I i think I had this conversation with Mark or maybe it was my cousin Bobby. I say, man, in the world, I had great friends. I have great friends in the body. I do now. But at this time, I said, I have great friends. I said, but in the church, it's hard to find those relationships. I had friends that, literally they would have died for me in the world and i was telling i think it was my cousin bobby i don't know if if i had this conversation with Mark, but i said in the world people know you're messed up and they love you anyway in the church they don't want you to have problems they don't accept you as you are they want you to be perfect and praise god that we're not in that system anymore that we're not part of that system anymore. No one in here is looking for perfection from you. They're not. We're not looking for perfection from you. If you miss service, we're not going to judge you and think you're falling out of the grace of God somehow. No. Why have our views so changed that much? Because we realize that God accepted us as we were. And if I don't accept you as you are, how can we ever move to the place where God is? You can't. That's where the Bible says that if a man hates his brother and says, I love God, he says he's a liar. Now, listen, that verse didn't say that God didn't love him. God does love that man. But if you hate your brother, He says that if you say I love God, you're lying because loving your brother is loving God. God still loves you when you hate your brother, but I tell you, you need to get it fixed because hating your brother is not good. (laughs) That's what allows the enemy access to allow judgment to come in our our lives when we judge somebody else. Jesus' own words said that in the measure that you judge, you shall be judged. Forgiveness is one of the greatest things that we can ever extend. The greatest. I was talking to my brother this week and I told him, I said, could you imagine all the arguments that you've had with your wife or arguments I've had with Heather and there would be no forgiveness? You couldn't even have a relationship. I said, but what happens when you mess up and she's willing to extend forgiveness to you? But what happens if you're always continually walking in forgiveness? What happens at the moment you mess up? She's already forgiven you. It'll remove condemnation from you. Last story, and, and, and I'll be done. Me and Heather, one day we were arguing. As a while ago. We actually got in an argument. Yes, your assistant pastor for occasions does have arguments with his wife. <laughs> Not proud of it. And ninety-nine Nine 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 percent of the time, Heather's usually right, and I'm walking in the flesh, because I've given, yeah, I've given over to anger. And this time we're arguing, and I, I raised my voice and and I said some hurtful things to her, and it was just silence. We're driving in the car. About ten minutes past, and she says to me, "I want you to know that you're a good man." I just sat there, I was still so angry. And she said again, I want you to know that you are a good man. And I yelled at her again. I said, don't tell me that. I said, don't say that I'm not a good man. See, I was reminded of what I did, but Heather didn't see me as a mistake that I made. She knew that that wasn't me. She didn't see me as the mistake. That's how God sees you. He don't see you as the mistake. That when you sin and when you mess up and when you blow it, He don't see you as that. He sees you apart from that. Your mistake is a choice that you made. It's not who you are. Amen. Heather's probably one of the most forgiving people that I know. She is. God's blessed me with a good wife because I would need a lot of forgiveness. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's true. But God is faithful. And I want you to know that the invisible hand of God is not invisible to you. It's invisible at times. But as soon as you get far enough to look back, you'll see it there. Look back in your life. Reflect on it. You'll see it. Amen. God is faithful. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Heavenly Father. I thank you for the anointing. I thank you for the ability to show your word. I ask you that you would bless the remainder of our day today, that it would indeed be filled with laughter, joy, and rejoicing for everything that you've done for us. I thank you for triumphant grace ministries, Lord God. I pray for anyone that hears this message that they would be encouraged, Lord God, and that the same anointing to preach it would be on it when they listen to it. In Jesus Christ, name, amen.